Lord Jesus, use me to preach so that others might believe. In your name, amen. It was a dark time for the disciples. The bottom had fallen out of their lives. It was the worst of Fridays, not a good one. They thought that Jesus had come to establish his kingdom, overthrowing the Roman rule and establishing true worship in Jerusalem. But no, he was dead. Dead and buried. Charles McIlvain preached over a century ago that that great stone which his enemies had rolled onto the door of the tomb, lest his disciples should go by night and take away the body, was expressive of the cold, dead weight which that death and burial had laid upon their hearts. That tomb seemed as the grave of all their hopes. All was buried with Jesus. All of them had fled. Few saw the death of Jesus the previous Friday, except for the women and John. But the women remained close. And in an act of pure devotion, they make their way to the tomb early on Sunday morning. Jesus had been crucified right before the Sabbath, so there was no time to prepare the body for burial. So at sunup on Sunday, they head to the tomb where our reading from Mark picks up. And we see that they go with spices and they begin to worry about who was going to roll away the stone. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was far from their minds. And as they wonder how they, in their own strength, could possibly roll away such a large stone, as they looked up, they found their answer. The stone had already been rolled away. Now this is a strange gospel reading for Easter. We have an empty tomb, but where is Jesus? And the women seem to think that the body has been stolen, in spite of the fact that the angel tells them otherwise. It's a brutally honest moment in the scriptures. If I were writing Mark's gospel, I would not have written it like this. They should not have been surprised. Jesus said, I will rise on the third day time and time again. Tear down this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. And even with that repetition, there are no male disciples around. The women are there, but they're there for a dead body. Nobody is expecting a resurrection. Now, If Mark were making this up, wouldn't you write in a disciple who asked, well, maybe we should go take a look. Couldn't hurt. But he shows us exactly how they felt and what they did. These women did a very brave thing in going to the tomb of a convicted and executed criminal in order to honor him, to anoint him, to give him a proper burial. The reactions to the resurrection are stranger still. The people are in a fog, even those closest to Jesus. People know what has happened, but it's hard for it to register in their hearts. Even the Roman guards believed that he was raised. The chief priests believed that he was raised. 
the woman, the women who came to the tomb came to understand that Jesus was alive. And we find that Peter and John before the others come to know that Jesus is alive. But initially, they are in a fog. Sometimes the fog clears, as with the disciples. But the initial reaction of all is fear. Fear that someone had stolen the body. Or fear that it might be too good to be true. The women, understandably, were were paralyzed with fear. But we know that eventually they would get over their fear as we pick up in John chapter 20. It tells us that Mary Magdalene ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. In spite of the fact that the angel said, He is not here. Mary is still convinced that someone has stolen Jesus' body. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Well, you can tell that John wrote this gospel because he wants all of us to know he beat Peter to the tomb. (laughs) And stooping to look in, John saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. He just glanced in. The Greek word that John uses is blepo. He just looks. He looks in the same way that you might uh, glance at a stoplight before proceeding. They glanced in a way that you might catch a view of some flowers as you go down the road. You see it, you observe it, but it doesn't necessarily register. It doesn't sink down deep. I see this in my children. I ask them to do something. They're looking right at me. They seem to hear me, but they don't understand a word I am saying. Blepo. But then Simon Peter runs up and typical of him, he shoves John, get out of the way, and goes into the tomb. And there he sees the linen clothes all folded up in a place by itself. This word see is totally different. It could also be translated as to behold. In that empty tomb, he beheld the glory of God, knowing that all that Jesus had said had come true. And then John finally makes his way into the tomb and he says that he sees and believes this time. For they did not understand the scripture until that moment that he must rise from the dead. And then they went back to their homes. But what does John believe? He believes that Jesus was actually risen from the dead and was the real Messiah, the Lord of glory, the Son of God in the most exalted sense. This is nothing less than living faith in the act of embracing the truth of the resurrection. And in spite of this glorious revelation to their hearts, what do they decide to do? We're going home. So they go back into their homes. They lock the door. We know that later on that evening they would be gathered together, everyone but Thomas, there in that upper room with the doors locked. 
If they believed, why go and hide? Well, yes, they were afraid that maybe they would be next. But we see that in the midst of the greatest event to ever occur in the history of the world, Peter and John were reminded of their betrayal. Peter denied Jesus even to a little girl while he stood trial. Peter even tried to stand once between Jesus and the will of the Father to send him to the cross. John, though he did stay on the fringes to observe Jesus' final moments, he still stood on the fringe. And John was one of those who had fallen asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus asked them, could you not watch just one hour? They were afraid of Jesus. Just the other day, uh, Lauren, the girls and I were driving through our neighborhood and came upon two dogs running right down the middle of the road. I was anxious to get to Odie's and to watch the UVA Iowa State game, uh, but my wife is much more compassionate than I am. Uh, Not towards me, but to the dogs. And so she pleaded with me to stop. So I stopped, and in spite of the fact that these dogs had probably been bitten by a rabid raccoon only moments before, uh, my wife ushered them into the car where they started to sit on my children's laps. I tried while trying to fight off the dog who was trying to sit in my lap, uh, dialing the telephone, and within minutes, their master pulled up next to us in their car. And she was thrilled to see her dogs were once lost but now were found who were safe and sound and the dogs began to wag their tails in great excitement at the coming of their master but when it came time for them to get into the owner's car they didn't want anything to do with it (laughs) in spite of their great joy of seeing their master they were afraid of punishment they knew that they had done wrong They wanted to go home, but they were afraid to face the music. I ended up having to drag the dogs out of our car in order to get them into the owner's car. What would Peter and John say to Jesus after all that baggage? What would the rest of the disciples say to Jesus, those who left him at his greatest hour of need? Well, thank God for the women. Our gospel reading tells us this morning, the angel's words to Mary and the other women, tell his disciples and Peter. Very specific, mentions Peter. Jesus wants Peter to know that he is alive and that he will see him just as he said he would and that his resurrection and death are enough to cancel all of the baggage. Do not fear. And no matter how hard they would try to lock themselves away in fear, Jesus himself would walk through locked doors in order to get to them so great is his love for them. But the full implications of all of this still don't sink in for them. Just as they don't sink in for us today. Many of us are more than willing to state boldly that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead bodily. 
And yet this truth has no impact on our lives. Growing up in the South, nearly all of us would say that we're Christians, although that's changing. But it's so commonplace that it comes up even at cocktail parties. Being asked where you go to church is like being asked what you do for a living. It's just a given. So we too, like them, can be in a fog. But why do we find ourselves locked up for fear? Even the most faithful and devout of Christians finds themselves locked up from time to time, whether actually doubting, is Jesus really who he said he was? Is he really raised from the dead? Because your heart is going to cause your mind to wander and cause your mind to doubt. Sometimes it feels like God is very far away and maybe even still in the tomb. And then there are times when it seems like the darkness will close in. Even when it seems like all hope is gone. But even then, Jesus is alive. And that makes all the difference. Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Are we fearful that it may not be true? There's more than enough evidence. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that even at one time he appeared up to 500 at once. We have the testimony of the women, the guards, the disciples, and his appearance elsewhere. Or are we like the disciples, fearful of the implications of Jesus' resurrection, afraid of what it means for us, understanding that now things are totally different? But this is why Easter is so important. It's because it answers that which is our deepest fear. Suppose that we were simply left with Good Friday, that there was no Easter. That Jesus died for us, but that his bones still rest in the grave. St. Paul says to us, and our believing is in vain. And we are most above all to be pitied to the point this morning that if you find the bones of Jesus outside the city of Jerusalem, and let's hit the omelet bar. Let's just leave now. Because that would be more edifying than what we're doing this morning. It would mean that death and judgment is stronger than even love. Stronger even than the Son of God. But no, not just dying for us, but being raised for us. Like the sacrificial lamb on the Day of Atonement. The death happens, but then the blood is carried into the Holy of Holies, where it is sprinkled on the mercy seat where reconciliation with God the Father happens. And in this case, death does not get the final word, but he is alive and risen indeed. But this morning, the Lord Jesus is not concerned with our biblical characters. He's thinking of you. What is your response to the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Are you afraid? you feel like you are in a fog? Are you just kind of looking in like John with some interest? Or are you seeing and believing? 
My friend, believe on him now who is raised from the dead, the one who has gone to hell and back for you in order that you might be from the bonds of sin and death. And even you, Christian, when your heart leads you astray and causes you to doubt, preach to your own heart that he is risen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, this weekend not only overwhelms us, it shakes the cosmos. Our very deepest fears and longings have been answered in you. Death and sin have been put away. You are alive. Lord, open our eyes to your marvelous grace and compassion. Lift the fog that falls upon our minds. In our fear, let our hearts cry. He is risen. Amen.